Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues. And I have conversations with foreign policy thought leaders who discuss their life, career, and the big events that shape their worldview. On the island of Hispaniola, there's an ongoing human rights and humanitarian catastrophe among Haitian migrants to the Dominican Republic and Dominicans of Haitian ancestry. In recent years, the government of the Dominican Republic has taken measures to essentially strip ethnic Haitians of Dominican citizenship. Now, new legal statutes have the potential to render about 500,000 people stateless. For context and comparison's sake, that is roughly the equivalent of the number of asylum applicants in Germany stemming from the Syrian refugee crisis. The roots of discrimination against Haitians in the Dominican Republic run deep, but these citizenship laws are relatively new. On the line with me to discuss this largely overlooked humanitarian crisis in the Western Hemisphere is human rights researcher Ryan Bacci. He explains the contours of these laws, their human rights and humanitarian implications on the ground, and offers some important historical context to understand how this kind of discrimination could be enshrined into a country's constitution. So Ryan is a Global Dispatches podcast listener who reached out to me to pitch me this idea, and I'm so glad he did because it was, frankly, an issue that was totally off my radar screen, and it is a further demonstration of the intelligence and the value of you out there who are listening to this podcast. So if you ever want to get in touch with me, go to globaldispatchespodcast.com. You can click on the little contact link to send me an email. And let me know what's on your mind. Send me ideas of stories I should cover or people I should interview. And who knows, maybe I'll end up interviewing you. I love it when it works out like that. All right, now here is Ryan Bachi. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. There's Dominicans of Haitian descent, which are natural-born Dominicans who happen to be ethnically Haitian. Um, and then there's also Haitian migrants who were born in Haiti and have migrated to the Dominican Republic. They may have been in the Dominican Republic for you know a few months and go back and forth, or they may have been living in the Dominican Republic for like 50 years and have never gone back to Haiti. And so taken together, what's the size of this population? The... Inter-American uh, commission that was sent down there um, estimated that it was over 600,000 if you took both groups together. Um, and the group that was um, affected after the 2014 law was amended was over 200,000. Can we just kind of take a, a, a step back and explain like the history of Hispaniola and how it's led to this point? Yeah, the, the history is really important, actually, and even the um, 
Organization of American States uh, Commission that was sent down there and the Inter-American Commission of Human Rights uh, investigative team that was sent down there mentioned that actually explicitly in their reports that this has been a really long-standing issue. Uh, they've been monitoring it actually since the 1980s. Um, and what they've concluded is that it kind of boils down to this. There's two versions of history um, on the island. There's the Haitian interpretation of history and there's the Dominican interpretation of history. And they have, they clash, uh, which causes a lot of animosity and conflict between the two countries and the peoples of those two countries. So I think the best way to explain it is to explain history from both sides. Um, and there's two really important historical events um, for Haitians and for Dominicans that are very relevant to the current issue and crisis on the island. So from the Dominican perspective, there's the Haitian occupation. So after Haiti became independent in 1804, it actually occupied um, the Dominican Republic, which uh, for people who don't know, the island of Hispaniola, the western one-third is occupied by Haiti, and the eastern two-thirds is occupied by the Dominican Republic. And Haiti was a French colony, uh, Dominican Republic was a Spanish colony, um, and they have a shared colonial history, but there's definitely a lot of differences in language and culture because of the French and Spanish uh, influences. And after that, Haiti became independent. They, like I said, occupied the Dominican Republic in an attempt to uh, get rid of slavery in the Dominican Republic, obviously, because Haiti was a, a slave rebellion. And the Dominican... Right, like Republic, Haiti was a former French colony, famously became independent through a slave rebellion. Yes, in 1804. And... The Dominican Republic as a Spanish colony still had slavery into the 1820s, and Haiti sent an army over and occupied the Dominican Republic. And even to this day, uh, the Dominican celebrate um, Haitian, the liberation from Haiti on their Independence Day, which is a common, you know, you would assume that they would celebrate liberation from Spain, but they actually celebrate independence from Haiti when they celebrate Independence Day in the Dominican Republic. So that's something that's very relevant today in the Dominican Republic, and they remember that, and they look at Haiti as their former occupier. Um, and even the current wave of Haitian migrants that's in the Dominican Republic, they often refer to it as the silent occupation. Um, and the Haitian perspective of history, uh, like I said, you know, that's, it's a former slave colony, so they look at the Dominican Republic as this uh, country that has slavery longer than them and has always been sort of oppressive and, and racist towards uh, the Haitian community. And that really came to a head in the 1930s, which is probably the most important event for Haitian uh, peoples uh, and for the Haitian interpretation of history. Because in 1937, um, Rafael Trujillo, who was the dictator of the Dominican Republic, sent the Dominican military to the border um, with Haiti and um, ordered the military to uh, massacre um, Haitian and Dominicans of Haitian descent living um, in the hinterlands between the two countries. There's no official number of how many people were killed, but most people estimate it's around 30,000. Uh, and it was referred to the, as the Parsley Massacre because uh, allegedly when the military went around, they asked people to pronounce the Spanish word for Parsley, which is, um, my Spanish is not as good as it used to be, but it's uh, Parahi. Uh, and Haitian people who speak 
uh, Creole or French, they wouldn't be able to pronounce the, the trilled R. A difficult to pronounce, so that's how they figure out who is someone of Haitian descent. Yeah, because so they, very, they're so intermingled, right? It's yeah, not like, and yeah. It, it, absolutely. And like, if you were you or I were to go to the island um, and you walk around uh, the Dominican Republic, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between uh, Dominican of Haitian descent or a Dominican per se. But they they definitely can mm-hmm. through language and culture and surnames uh, and first names as well. And it's probably one uh, of those things where like, it's not that people were necessarily crossing the border. It's that the border probably crossed them several times throughout history yeah, too. Right. Abs- yeah. And it's obviously uh, an open border. There's, you know, there's no wall or anything between the two countries. Uh, it's a very mountainous kind of barren environment or, or in the border area. So it's very easy to cross from one to the other. Um, there are a few actual crossing points. There's a, a big one in Dahabon, uh, where there's a bridge that goes over this river that is named the blood river in reference to this massacre that I just mentioned. So it, it's a very open border. People have gone back and forth for, for centuries and there's been a lot of mixing. So there has, there is this sort of history of animosity, um, or of nationalism perhaps from a, if, if you're Dominican. Um, so how and why is this uh, suddenly over the last few years become a sort of urgent humanitarian concern in crisis? So the current issue is in regards to a Supreme a constitutional Dominican constitutional court case that was brought to them in 2013 by a woman who was born in the Dominican Republic to Haitian immigrant parents and the Dominican Republic previously um, since 1865, I believe had a uh, just solely principle of nationality, which basically means that if you're born in the territory of that country, you're granted citizenship, citizenship or nationality of that country. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which is not uncommon. I mean, it's what we have in the United States for the most part. And a lot of countries have that, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's um, you know, Dominican Republic was not unusual in, in having that system in place. And like I said, there was a long history of, uh, that system of nationality in the Dominican Republic. Basically, she she tried to go to get a uh, a cedula, which is like a, a national identification card that you get when you're 18 in the Dominican Republic. And she had her birth certificate. She was uh, legitimately registered when she was born. Her parents had proved, you know, they they had all the appropriate documentation. And when she went to get the cedula, the um, civil civil registry den- denied her. Um, the card and they confiscated her birth certificate and basically said like, you know, you're Haitian, you're not Dominican. We're not going to allow you to have this national you know, ID card. And she sued them and went all the way up to the top. And surprisingly, the constitutional court, which, you know, this case was in 2013, the constitutional court was only set up in 2010. So it was only three years after this court was created. Um, they said they, they rejected the principle of just solely essentially uh, and said that she was um, not entitled to Dominican nationality and that her birth, even though it was registered because her parents were from Haiti, she was not uh, officially Dominican. And what was highly unusual about it was that they retroactively applied this ruling to all people in the Dominican Republic that fell into the same category as the um, woman who brought the 
case to the court. So basically they found a loophole in the constitution that they could perhaps creatively apply constitutional law to argue that she's not a legitimate citizen and neither are tens or hundreds of thousands of others, uh, uh, Dominicans of Haitian descent. Yeah. So there was a exception to this just solely principle in the constitution that had been, uh, in all, there was a constitution, 1865, uh, 1929 and, and in 2010, and there was always this consistent exception to the just solely principle, which was that if you were a uh, born to parents who were in transit, you were not entitled to citizenship or nationality. And the definition of in transit had changed over history, and they took a extremely strict interpretation of that um, definition, which had been slowly been codified in the Dominican uh, legal system over time, but this this ruling from the Constitutional Court really solidified it into Dominican law and, like I said, applied it pretty much across the entire Dominican uh, Haitian community. So how many people were then sort of retroactively denied their citizenship or stripped their citizenship? Well, part of the problem is that the Dominican Haitian community is uh, disproportionately poor. Um, so there's no official number of how many people were actually affected by it. They've estimated that, uh, at the time of the 2013 ruling, it affected well over 200,000 people. Um, and there was this big outcry among, uh, the international community, especially, and then somewhat within the Dominican, uh, Republic to amend that ruling. So the president of the Dominican Republic, um, he, the next, the following year, 2014, he um, proposed this second law that would allow people who had registered legitimately between 1929, when the Constitution of 1929 was written, and 2007, um, he, he would allow them to reapply for nationality if they could prove that they were legitimately born in the Dominican Republic. So that reduced the number of people who was affect, who were affected. Mm-hmm. I do remember this the, being like uh, a 2013 ruling. Yeah, I mean, I do remember there being something of like a public outcry at the time um, because, you know, that, that ruling sort of rendered people stateless. Uh, and so, you know, people in the humanitarian community, the UN, I remember, um, did not look kindly upon that uh, situation. No. <laughs> well, and, and part of the problem was that in the Dominican, the, in the constitutional court's interpretation of the law, they didn't believe that they were making anybody stateless, um, which would have been, you know, was a huge violation of international law and very irresponsible of the Dominican Republic. But uh, they they reasoned that uh, in the Haitian constitution, there is a clause that allows um, children born of Haitian nationals abroad citizenship. So if your parents are were born in the in Haiti and you were born in the Dominican Republic, you were um, you could benefit from you know technically you were a Haitian citizen mm-hmm. because your parents were from Haiti. So in the Dominican Republic's opinion, they didn't actually make anybody stateless because these were Haitian citizens. Yeah, and. Which is a very which sort of assumes that Haiti is a functioning civil service that they can go and like apply for a passport. <laughs> yes, which and uh, it, it, but besides the 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 bureaucratic issues with that, um, Haiti kind of turned around and said, you know, we're not we don't adhere to the constitutional court's ruling, and we're not you know entertaining that prospect of incorporating upwards of two hundred thousand people into the Haitian uh, registry. 
because uh, it just would be infeasible. So you had a situation where um, a constitutional court ruled uh, that people who had considered themselves to be Dominican nationals could no longer consider themselves to be Dominicans. Uh, the government uh, sort of created an out in a way, as you said, creating a pathway for citizenship of these people who had been previously been stripped of their citizenship. So where did that land people? Like, what, like how did people respond to that? How did this like affect people on the ground? Well, so it affected people in different ways depending on what their status was. Um, if you fell into that category of people who were legitimately born in the Dominican Republic and had the paperwork, then it was somewhat – it was an inconvenience because you had to go to the authorities and, and prove that you were Dominican and give them your paperwork. Um, but there wasn't necessarily – I mean there was, there's definitely a fear that the government wouldn't accept the – documents uh, and there's a lot of there's actually been a lot of accusations that uh, when people have gone with legitimate records that they've been taken from them they've been seized um, but there there was a process in place for those people the the people who who had no paperwork or their births were never registered at all um, those people were pretty much in a legal limbo they weren't even in legal limbo they were just stuck in the Dominican Republic essentially in, in the shadows, hoping that the police or the military wouldn't find them and ask for, you know, a cedula or identification because they'd be immediately deported. Um, and it was, there's a lot of allegations that the deport deportations were done arbitrarily based on, uh, you know, skin color, language ability, names. like a modern day parsley event, right? Essentially. Yeah. And I actually have, I went through some of the legal uh, documents and one of the uh, qualifications that they were using was um, dark skinned, and this is a, a direct quote. It was dark skinned Dominicans with Haitian facial features, um, and that was kind of the standard of evaluation for people. Uh, so there's definitely a fear that the Dominican there wasn't a lot of faith, let's say, in the Dominican government's ability to properly adjudicate people. Yeah, it sounds like a arbitrary. So, so um, on the other side of the border in in Haiti, are there are there sort of spontaneous refugee camps that have popped up, presumably, for people who were deported? Like, like what's that situation? Yeah. So um, the president of Haiti at the time, um, Michel Martilly, he uh, in the summer of 2015 estimated that there were over uh, fourteen thousand people living in, in camps along the border with Haiti. I mean, I'm sorry, in Haiti, along the border of the Dominican Republic, and that included people who were uh, deported by the Dominican authorities or people who uh, a lot of people voluntarily migrated over the border in an attempt to avoid actually being deported. Um, so you had this big influx of, you know, I would say that's a, a, a conservative estimate um, at this point of people living in camps on the other side of the Haitian border. And, and I mean, I can't imagine like the conditions at those camps are are necessarily any good, right? Uh, yeah, they they obviously and, and as I said at the beginning, I mean, the border between Haiti and the Dominican Republic is very it's it's sparsely populated. The capitals of both countries are far from it, so there's not a lot of uh, connection to that part of the countries. So it's hard for people to get in there. It's hard for aid workers to get in there and, and be able to assist the people that are there. It's very mountainous. It's not like good roads, especially on the Haitian side. Um, so the conditions are pretty, pretty deplorable. 
Um, so what's next? So so what's the like? What is happening right now to ameliorate or remedy the situation, if anything? Or do you just have hundreds of thousands of people so close to the United States living in effective sort of stateless conditions? Well, there's been there's been an attempt by the Dominican Republic um, to you know uh, that that 2014 law that's called Law 169-14. There was an attempt by the Dominican Republic to remedy the situation and give people the opportunity to apply for renationalization. Um, on the surface, that seems. Uh, like it would be a, a step in the right direction, but uh, many human rights organizations have have criticized it and said that they believe that uh, the bureaucratic system is is not able to con- you know handle that, and that there's a lot of uh, individual uh, officers, like I said, confiscating documents and just this slow kind of bureaucratic malaise that people aren't getting the documents they need in time uh, because there is a deadline. Uh, to apply, reapply, and if you miss that deadline or your paperwork's not processed by that, that point, um, you are automatically and permanently removed from the civil registry civil registry rolls. Um, so there's been a move by the Dominican government to try to remedy to remedy that. There's been um, a lot of criticism from civil society and, and the Dominican diaspora in the United States, in particular. Um, there's a New York City. Con- uh, city councilman who's been very vocal because uh, there's a large Dominican and Haitian community in New York City. Uh, the author, um, Juno Diaz, who wrote the brief and wondrous uh, life of Oscar Wow, is a Dominican-American, and he's spoken out pretty uh, forcefully against this law. But again, he, he was actually stripped of his uh, order of merit from the Dominican government before speaking out. The most uh, so famous no. Dominican in America who's not a baseball player <laughs> was de- yeah. denied uh, a medal because they spoke out against discrimination against Haitians. That's amazing. Well, he he was he wasn't even denied it. He he was already a recipient of it, and they've rescinded it. <laughs> so um, there's definitely been allegations of intimidation of academics, lawyers, reporters, and people speaking out against the the laws. So there there definitely are voices that have been advocating on behalf of it really has not like perkled up uh to the you know top tiers of u.s policy and in haiti or or dominica it seems you know like still everything at least towards haiti is is very like earthquake focused and governance focused and you know there there are recent elections um dominica i'm not quite as familiar with because it's a little kind of off off the uh un radar um well yeah and when you talk about American like policy towards the Dominican Republic, the, uh, administ- the Obama administration has made statements where they've basically said, they I have a quote here actually, they said, we recognize the prerogative of the Dominican Republic to remove individuals from its territory who are present without authorization. Um, which, which again... They could court a read as a, a green light, I would imagine. Uh, yeah, and, and the, you know a lot of the problem here is ter- you know, definitions and who who's in what does in transit mean? What does without authorization mean? Like it, it's a very broad statement that can be interpreted in a lot of ways. Um, the only thing that they've really forcefully s- said is that we don't want you to mass deport people, um, which unfortunately you haven't seen hundreds of thousands of people being deported at once, but it's definitely arbitrary. It's definitely happens in the hundreds, if not thousands of people. Um, so there definitely needs to be more of an international 
outcry um, from top level officials to put more pressure on the Dominican Republic to stop its policy. Unfortunately, it hasn't happened. All right. Well, uh, Ryan, thank you so much for, for your time and, and for shedding light on this issue, which was new to me. I mean, I, I'd sort of, you know, I, I knew that there was an issue along the border. I didn't know how deep it ran into like the history of uh, the island of Hispaniola. Yep. Yeah. So uh, thank you for yeah. you know bringing it to the attention of your listeners, because like you said, it's an issue that a lot of people have heard about, but um, hasn't gotten a lot of attention. Alrighty, thank you all for listening. If you are new to Global Dispatches, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to subscribe on iTunes or you can get the app. It's all free. Check out our archives. We've got lots of great content for you if you are interested in these kinds of issues or, or many others around the world. If you are a regular listener, if you are a diehard Global Dispatches podcast.com listener, you must please do leave a review on itunes it really does help it helps um increase the rankings in search for people who are looking for foreign policy podcasts the more reviews you get the better i feel too so please do leave a review all right thanks guys see you next time bye